right. Where are the ladies at? You guys enjoy a woman conference? I was there the whole time. That was a lot of estrogen. I'm just telling you. I started getting emotional yesterday afternoon. I'm like, what is wrong with me? I don't know what's going on. But uh, shout out to my wife who spoke a little bit at the conference. Come on now. Give it up for my wife, Cody. It's good. I do limit her stage time, though, because I don't want her to take my job over. And uh, she's probably a better communicator than I am. And we all know if I'm staying home with the kids, they all going to die. So it's just better for us to stay in our lane. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed the conference. We're going to continue this week kind of where we left off last week in Ephesians uh, and talking uh, about the next chapter. And uh, how many of y'all appreciated the message last week on marriage? Anybody get anything out of that, out of that message on marriage? All right. All I got to say is thank God it's Tunday. Some of y'all will get that. Some of y'all won't, but maybe later. We're going to be talking about family. This last week I was hanging out at the woman conference and hanging out with Pastor Rick back in his office. And his mom, Miss B, Miss B, she's the one who really runs the whole church, just so you know. And she came back there and she was hanging out. And this is an incredible woman. She, she was basically raised her boys by herself for most of their life and just an incredible woman of God. And uh, I love asking her questions and, and having her tell stories about Pastor Rick, though, because, you know, just it's good to have some good dirt on your pastor if you ever need it. And so, so I was just asking her to tell some stories. And so she told me the story about when Pastor Rick was like four or five years old, he had a problem with still sucking his thumb all the time, just sucking his thumb just constantly. And so she did everything she could do to try to get him to stop sucking his thumb. And so she'd put hot sauce on his thumb and all kind of paprika and stuff like that. Problem is he's Cajun. And so he just like liked it. It like tastes like a meal to him. He just like suck it off and more. And, uh, and so it was a problem. So she, she just was trying to get him to stop sucking his thumb. So eventually she had, to, she had to lie a little. Every once in a while you got to lie a little bit to your kids to get them to do something, all right? It happens. It happens just a little bit, okay? So she told Pastor Rick, look, if you don't stop sucking your thumb, you're going to blow up like a balloon. You're going to blow up. So the next day they're... They're walking into the grocery store, and this really, really pregnant lady was walking out. So he just walked right up to her and pointed at her belly and said, I know what you've been doing. (laughs) Oh, goodness. (laughs) And that's the man that is leading the entire church. I hope you feel confident. We're going to talk about family. First off, you're never going to have the perfect family. There isn't one. In fact, throughout the word of God, these incredible men of God, most of them didn't have perfect families. Moses, Moses, he spent so much of his time pursuing ministry, he basically ignored his family. David had a son that he could never forgive and get right with to the point where It divided the family and eventually tore the kingdom apart. There are no perfect families. There's also families that look different than other families. Not any one family looks like another family. There's no cookie cutter formula for what family's supposed to be. We got single moms, single dads. One works, both work. We got some families that do homeschooling, some families do public schooling. 
The appearance of the family is not really what's important. What's important is how they function according to God's word. And so action supersedes appearance. But wherever you are in the spectrum, what we got to figure out is how are we building a home and how are we building a family based on the principles of God? More specifically, how are we raising kids to do that? As we finish out Ephesians chapter 5 and headed into chapter 6, it's very important because Paul is laying out this progression of submission. We talked about that last week, how the husbands submit their love to their wives. The wives submit their respect to the husbands. And this week we're going to talk about how important it is that the kids submit to the parents. And the reason why that's so important is because if your kids will not su- submit their hearts to you, there is a really good chance they might not submit their hearts to God. Because God has set up that in the structure. Ephesians 6.1, that's going to be the text we're going to kind of build from today. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right on your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. Okay, so young people, we got to listen to this. There's a promise that comes with this, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. And you, fathers and mothers, do not provoke. Okay, this literally means don't lead through a domineering and thoughtless spirit. Don't provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Okay, so every parent loves that part, like, yeah, submit and honor so you don't die, (laughs) so you live long and have a good life. But what we have to look at as parents is that second part where it says, look, what are you provoking your kids to? Are you provoking them? And encouraging them towards a life that is Christ-centered and centered around the things of God? Are you provoking wrath in them that pushes them away from you and away from your influence to point them towards God? So we're going to look at that. Proverbs 24.3 says, Homes are built on the foundation of wisdom and understanding. And anytime you're going to talk about homes, you can talk about this verse. Because the bottom line is this. Healthy homes, healthy kids don't happen on accident. They don't just happen without trying. They don't happen without you being specific and being intentional and gaining understanding and wisdom and then applying it within the home. Last week we talked about these two laws that exist between a husband and wife. And one of them was the law of priority. That you put them as a high priority in your life. And the other law is the law of pursuit. And this applies with our kids as well. Are our kids convinced of the priority that they hold in our lives? And do they understand that through our pursuit of their hearts and who they are as people? The number one priority that all of us are ever going to have is first and foremost that we know who we are in Christ. That we understand what he says about us and grow in an understanding of his love. And then second, if you're married, it's, it's how that pours over into your spouse and pours over into your marriage. And then it's your kids, though. Do they believe the priority that they hold in your life. Do you know what the first command was that God actually gave to Adam and Eve? It, it happened before they even got out of the first chapter in Genesis. This is what he said. God blessed them and said, have many children and grow in number. 
By the way, this is the only law that we have gotten right as a human race. Like, it's the only rule that we have, we've done good at this. Like, especially here in Cabot. Uh, We know how to have some babies up in Cabot. Now, we have learned that there is more than one way to grow the kingdom of God and fight terrorism, and that is in the bedroom. Come on now. We are nailing this thing. But the question is, what do we do with all them kids once we have them? Because we got a lot of them. God said, get married, have families, have kids. And we have done that. Went from Adam and Eve to 7.5 billion people. But how are we raising them? Once you become a parent, this is going to be really deep, okay? I've been thinking about this lately. Once you become a parent, you never stop being a parent. Like, my kids are not going away. I'm going to have them. Their whole life, I will parent them. Unless I kill them. But as long as I'm alive and they're alive, I'm a parent. I know it's really deep. Try to keep up. But I think sometimes we, we don't think about it that way. The fact of the matter is, is, even if you're 90 years old, you have kids, you're still parenting. So your kids call you up and say, you know, they're in their, like, their late 60s, like, Mom, what is being, what's being 70 like? And you don't remember, but you're going to rem- make, like, make something up. Well, it was like this, I think, you know, because you're still going to be parenting. You're still going to be leading. You're still going to be guiding them through life. God said, I want you to have children who are true to God. But how do you do that? What's my role in raising kids that stay close to the heart of God? A couple weeks ago, I was walking out of Starbucks, a.k.a. my office, because I spent a lot of time there. And, uh, and I was busy. I was distracted. I was on a phone call, but I was thinking about you know, six different things. And I was heading out to the parking lot, and I came up. And I was trying to unlock my car, but I could not get it unlocked. Like, couldn't figure it out. I tried my key fob, key fob wasn't working. That door jams sometimes and I can't always get it unlocked. So I went around the other side, I'm trying to unlock that door. I can't get my car and I'm on the phone and I don't multitask very well. And so this person like really needed me to like counsel them and stuff. And all I'm thinking about is I'm going to have to call locksmith to get my car open. So I'm working on this for like 10 minutes. Until I realized it's not my car. I've been trying to break into somebody else's car. And the problem is this. I'm sure people have been watching me. (laughs) So what do you do then? She says, that car is secure. (laughs) Nobody getting in that one. I'm going to go over here to mine though and leave. (laughs) Never come back. I've noticed is you get distracted in life and you forget where you're supposed to be as a parent, you will start working on the wrong things with the wrong people that aren't yours. You'll, you'll spend your time and your energy focusing on the wrong thing with the wrong people in the wrong place When God says, I've already given you something to focus on, and that is your home. 
And that is your marriage if you're married, and that is your kids if you're raising kids. The truth is your kids are going to grow up with a lot of options of who they're going to serve. First point I want to talk about, I think you've got, this is some, these are things I'm learning. You've got to decide what will be at the center of your home. You've got to decide what's going to be at the center of your home. Because in life, we all have a tendency to drift. I mean, if you love the Lord with all your heart at different points, you're going to drift a little bit. You're going to drift away from center. And there's going to be some things in your life that are going to be very close to you. There's going to be some things in your life are a little further and then some things that are a lot further away from you. But the reason why it's important to ask the question, what is at the center of your life? Because whatever is at the center of your life is going to be what you worship. Whatever is at the center of your life is going to be the thing that you're pouring the most time, money, and energy into. And those are indications of worship because the word worship means to give something of worth. So whatever you're giving the most worth of in your life to is the thing that you worship. And the question is this, is that a good representation and model for your kids to watch? Because the things that your kids are going to have as options to put at the center of their life are going to be things like friends and peer pressure. Things like sports, school, family, career, just having fun, buying stuff, materialism. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But none of them should be at the center. Because none of those things will hold your life together when your life starts to fall apart. Because in the end, if any of those things are at the center, they will fail you. Because none of those things are eternal. And none of those things give you an everlasting hope. Only Jesus can do that. So whatever is at the center has to be something that is bigger than this temporary world. It has to be Jesus. If, you're a center, if the center of your life is some relationship, look, even family, eventually you lose relationships because people pass away or something happens. Relationships can fail you. If the center of your life is your career, well, there's plenty of testimonies in here where people say, look, don't put your career at the center of your life because you'll lo- you can lose your career. If the center of your life is money, well, may God be with you because that is not going to hold your life together. That's not going to be something that can be, sustain you. Maybe in your life, it's, you're just dependent on your good looks, personality, healthy living. But here's the thing. Gravity works. All this eventually doesn't stay like this. It all drops. And so that can't be at the center because it will not hold you together. Jesus has to be at the center. When Jesus was asked, what's the greatest thing for us to know? What's the greatest commandment? A lot of you are familiar with this. And this is how he responded in Matthew 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The first thing that we have to teach our kids is to love God and put him at the center. At the end of the day, they have to ask themselves a question. Our kids have to ask themselves a question. Am I going to live a self-centered life or am I going to live a God-centered life? What's going to be the priority? As parents, we have to set the example. 
That's our number one role and responsibility. When you become a Christian, what fills you up changes. When you become a Christian, it isn't like you're a pie and you give a percentage of that pie to Jesus. When you become a Christian, Jesus becomes the filling of the pie. And you're going to have different pieces of your life, family, career, money, hobbies, sex. But Jesus should be in the middle of all of it. He has to be the thing that fills us with everything that we have. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, Christ's love has the first and last word in everything that we do. In everything that we do. If you will center your life around how much God loves you and loving him back, if you will center your life around an identity in Christ, and you will set that example for your kids, then when your kids face the rejection, when they face the turmoil of the generation, the signs of the times that they're living in, they may struggle, but they will overcome because Jesus lasts forever. I've shared a little bit of my story. You know, when I was a young man, especially around seven years old, eight years old, nine years old, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, uh, it was a while. There was a good season there. I struggled. I struggled with learning disabilities. I didn't have a lot of friends. I got picked on a lot. I got bullied a lot. And here's the thing. If my parents hadn't put Christ at the center of my life, it probably would have destroyed me. But even though I was going through all those things, like I love, I really love Jesus. And I remember at one point I went from a Christian school to a public school, which by the way, that Christian school, that was some of the meanest people sucking air on the planet. Like I got picked on and beat up more in a Christian school. But I was going to a public school and so I was like, well, I'm going to a public school, so obviously nobody, everybody there is going to hell, so they need Jesus. It's my job to bring that to them. So my first week of third grade at public school, I have my Rustler jeans on. You know what I'm talking about. They're not even Wrangler. They're Rustler. They're like the generic brand of Wrangler. I have my cowboy boots on, my cowboy buckle belt, my flannel shirt, and my Bible. And as soon as... We had recess. I headed out on the playground. I'm like, all right, well, preachers and pastors, they like to, they, they, get, they preach from a little bit higher position so people can hear them and see them. And so I climbed the top of those monkey bars. So I'm sitting up there on the monkey bars. I started preaching the word, which just basically meant I read John 3.16 over and over and over again because that's all I knew. But I just did that over and over and over again. And then there's this one little girl named was Heather. She had hearing aids in both ears. She got made fun of and picked on all the time. No other kid was paying attention. She came over and she listened. And then I invited her to my church. And Heather came to my church with her family. And her family got saved. Those types of things don't happen without Jesus at the center. But here's the rest of the story. My parents divorced. I came from a broken home. My parents made lots of mistakes. They messed up a lot. But they kept Jesus at the center. And they lived and set that example. That's what our kids need to see too. Number two, you got to make your home a safe haven in the storms. Because the 
The fact of the matter is your kids are going to face some storms. It's going to feel like a hurricane blew through and just destroyed things at some points. And when those things come and those things try to batter us and bruise us and beat us up, they need to have a place that they can come to where they feel loved and accepted and protected, where there's grace and forgiveness, a place where they know what to expect. There's not going to be a bunch of erratic behavior, but it's a place where they know that they can come and decompress from everything that's happening around them, the pressure that they're having. Proverbs 14, 26 says, Reverence for the Lord gives a man deep strength, and his children have a place of refuge and security. That's what home is supposed to be, a place of refuge and security. Here's the thing, though. Personally, for me, sometimes I'm not always sensitive to everything that my kids need. So my daughter, London, come in the room, and she's hyperventilating. And say some girl doesn't want to be her friends and she is broken about this and crying and, and so distraught and so hurt. My thing is, I'm like analytical. I'm like, look, this is, just, this is stupid. When you're 18, you're not even going to remember who this girl was. She probably doesn't have anything going for her anyway. She's going to wind up in juvie at some point or another, obviously. And so you don't even need to worry about whether or not she wants to be your friend. Let's get some rock. Come on, girl then that's not what she needs. She needs me to love her and listen to her because her, where she's at, that's just all she sees. There's two storms that, that all of us go through that our kids are gonna face. These are the, probably the biggest ones. One is failure. They're gonna experience the storm of failure because nobody wins all the time. Sometimes you're gonna get passed by some sort of promotion on a team or whatever. You're, or you're not going to make the team at all. You're going to fail the test. You're going to get dumped. Failure comes to everybody. Look, your kid is going to strike out. I know you think that they're going to make it to the big leagues, but there's a good chance they're not. They're going to strike out. They're going to sin. They're going to be rebellious at one point or another. They're going to take your car out and wreck it. They're going to shave the cat. It only happened once, but it sure was funny. It was good. They're going to do stuff that drives you crazy. And when all that happens, how are you helping them weather the storm? Another storm is rejection. This is probably the biggest one. One of the toughest storms to handle. And I know what it feels like as a parent to have one of your kids come in crying and look you in the eye and say, nobody wants to be my friend. And it just breaks you. And they're going to experience that. Probably all of us in this room still remember that one time on the playground when we were kids. that Somebody rejected us. Somebody hurt our feelings. Somebody, we all know what it feels like to not be a part of the popular group. Unless you're part of the popular group. And we're praying for you. But we all understand what it's like to to be dumped by some loser. We understand what those things feel like. How are we helping our kids have a place of safety where they can experience those storms and still feel loved and accepted? There's four things. This is not like the, if you do all these things, everything's gonna be perfect, but I think they could help. First of all, you gotta hear them. 
You got to hear them. Don't be so quick to come up with the answer and the solution to the problem they're presenting, but just listen. And then ask more questions. Even if you feel like you've got the answer, just listen. And ask more questions. Just get them talking and processing. Let the Holy Spirit bring revelation that'll help them. But just hear them. Listen to them. Also, you got to hug them. Hug them. You've got to express affection. I know some of you are porcupines. He's like, hey, just stay away from me. Don't touch me. And dads have a problem with this too. Here's the deal, dads. They're looking to you as the example of their heavenly father. They need to feel the embrace of their heavenly father. They're looking for you to demonstrate what the heavenly father would do for them in that place of weakness and hurt. To show that affection. If it's a hug, it's rubbing their back, tickle them. My kids love to be tickled. We have tickle attacks all the time. They just beg me for it. Dad, give us a tickle attack. I don't get it. I'm like, oh, that is weird. But I will tickle them. And my goal is to get them to pee their pants by the end of it. I'm like, oh, it's on, but you're gonna, yeah, it's going to be a mess. You're going to have to change your britches. But affection, just affection. Love them and then help them. Give hope to them. Work as hard as you can to find solutions. But here's the biggest thing. The homes that are in the most trouble are the homes that aren't getting help outside of the home. The homes that are struggling the most are the homes that say, no, we got this. We got this. We don't need to ask anybody else. We don't need to talk about this to anybody else. We got this. Or even worse, the homes that just say, what problem? There's no problem. We don't have a problem. Look, the reason why we need the body of Christ is because there are other people that have done this and they've done it better than you and they're ahead of you in life and you need to ask them how to do this. The reason why we have life groups is because we weren't designed to do this on our own. And at one point or another, you need to sit down with another couple who's raising kids and just cry together because you don't know what to do. But be willing to get help. And that segues great into my next point. You've got to humble yourself. Humble yourself. This may be the most important thing that I communicate today. Because what I notice is in too many homes, the kids don't want to honor and respect and submit to their parents because their parents have no influence with them. As parents, we are leaders. Leadership is influence. Leadership is influencing somebody to do something that they don't think that they want to do and then make them believe it was their ideal all along. And that's what you do with your kids. The greatest influence you will ever have and keep, first and foremost, is with your spouse if you're married. And second to that, it's with your kids. And if you are losing influence with your kids, there is nobody to blame but you. But you have an opportunity One of the ways that I feel like so many parents lose influence with their kids is they are not willing to admit when they are wrong, when they blow it, when they yell too loud for too long or said something they shouldn't have said or just overreacted, whatever it is. And sometimes, so many times, one of the strongest, most powerful positions that you can have before your kids is on their level looking in their eye and say, Daddy is sorry. 
I shouldn't have done it that way. I didn't need to yell like that. Are you wrong in the discipline? Maybe not, but the way you did it might have been totally jacked up. And if it's wrong, admit it. Sometimes the best thing you can ever do is walk up to your teenager and ask them, hey, how can I lead you better? How can I influence you better? Do that to your teenager. They're going to look at you like, well, who are you? What did you do with my parents? And then listen, listen, ask them, how can I, how can I lead you better? How can I influence you better? I can tell there's some things I can probably work on that help me understand what those things are. And here's the thing, their answers might be totally off, but guess what? It's their reality because it's their perspective and their perspective is their reality. And our role as parents is to do everything we can to help change the perspective of who we are so that we can have influence to point them towards Jesus. But you gotta be willing to humble yourself if you're gonna do it. Admit when you're wrong. Are y'all out there? You got really quiet up in here. (laughs) Because here's the thing. At one point or another, there's probably gonna be some brokenness around your home and you need to lead by example in humility and forgiveness. The truth is every home breaks at one point or another. It either breaks because of death or it breaks because of divorce. And you as parents need to be setting the example for how you handle that brokenness. We have a lot of divorced families, a lot of kids. They're growing up with step-parents. You set the example for the grace, the love, and forgiveness that's on the field, especially towards your ex and especially around your kids. The text, the phone conversations, those things, look, some of those wounds will go deep. And if you're not setting the example of Christ's love and forgiveness and grace and humility around those people, your kids are going to follow your example. And you don't want to create a generational trend. It's definitely not worth it. The last thing is this. Enrich the spirit of your home. Enrich the spirit of your home. This is the difference between being demanding of respect and honor versus speaking out of a tree of life and encouragement. It's the difference between you being in a place where you're saying you will respect, you will submit, you will obey. Versus setting a tone where you never even have to get to that place because you've spent so much time explaining the heart behind why you do what you do. You spend more time explaining the word and God's heart. The standard of your home is not your standard. The standard of your home is the word of God. But they have to understand the spirit and the heart of that. And so often what I see is an issue among homes is there's no joy in there. It feels like everything's forced instead of having a flow of relationship. One of the most attractive things that I think that we can have something to do with around our homes is just that we know how to have fun. That we laugh together. We have joy. It says this in Psalm 126 too. We were filled with laughter. We sang for joy. And the other nations said, what amazing things the Lord has done for them. 
<laughs> See that testimony of what it can be like when people, I think about this all the time when I think about Pastor Rick and Michelle and their kids. Look, their kids, their, their youngest is Grace. I think she's 19, maybe 18, 19 years old. All of their kids are older and all their kids still want to come in and plop down on their parents' laps. They laugh a lot. They just have fun together. They just created an atmosphere that enriches the spirit. And here's the thing. I'm not always good at this because I'm, I know you probably didn't pick up on this, but I can be kind of intense. I know it, it's, it's weird, but it's true. But I'm intentional about and creating environments and opportunities where I get to just have fun with them. We have dance parties all the time. My kids know how to cut some rug. I'm just telling you that right now. One of the things we do is when we go to pick them up from school, look, you go to pick up your kids at school, we got four kids. They, they file into our vehicle, and it is like sensory overload. What are we doing tonight? What are we going to do? What are we doing? So this is what we start doing. As we start rolling up to the pickup line, we put on Proud to be an American, and we play it as loud as we can. When the kids get in, we all sing it together. They know every word. And they're like, Proud to be an American. And just like, like my four-year-old knows every word to that song. And it diffuses and it decompresses. And we just get to have fun for four beautiful minutes that sets the tone for the rest of our evening. So that when we get done with that, we can start talking about what's next. We also give them a snack so their mouth is full so they can't talk as much. Take a snack and go sing this song. It's going to have fun together. Just think of different ways that you can bring that joy into your home. Because here's the thing, those mil- I know you all heard this. I get tired of hearing, take advantage of every moment because it's going to be gone before you know it. But it is true. It is true. And what breaks my heart is when I take my kids to a park and I see these other families that are there and their parents are on their cell phone the whole time they're there. They're not even watching their kids, they're not paying attention. That's not condemnation because I've done the same thing before. What I'm saying is we've got to make the most of the opportunities that God gives us with our kids. Because I know in the blink of an eye, my little girl Grayson is going to be walking down the aisle to marry some very, very rich dude. I don't know who they are. In Jesus' name, it's just going to happen. But I don't want to miss the journey and the process. And I want, no matter what happens in my kid's life, no matter whatever happens in my little girl Grayson's life, I want her to always, for the rest of her life, want to come sit in my lap and laugh with me and have tickle attacks <laughs> and just have relationship. And I believe that by the Spirit of God and by His grace, He can help us as parents to have these kind of relationships. I think this should be a good prayer of our hearts and And in this, it's talking about the day and age that Joshua was in, but you could apply it very easily to the culture that we're in. This is what it says in Joshua 24. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you're going to serve. Whether it's the gods which your father served or what your culture is serving, or what your country is putting as a priority, or what the friends around you are putting as a priority, or having the full schedule with 18 different sports and all those types of things. Whether it's 
the other the gods that were served on the other side of the river, the gods, gods of the Amorites, in whom land, in whom in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we're gonna serve the Lord. As for me and my house, God is at the center. Because God is the only thing that's gonna hold it together. It's Jesus. Amen. Let's pray together. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. If you're a parent in this room, would you just lift your hand for me? I want to pray for you. Anybody that's raising kids, no matter what age they are, if you're raising kids in this place. Father God, I lift up every parent in this room. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your wisdom and discernment, the knowledge that comes from you. We thank you for your word, how clear the standard is for how we should live. I thank you for it. God, I pray your protection. I pray your grace in Jesus' name over every one of these parents. And I pray in the name of Jesus that we would be led by the helper, the Holy Spirit, the great physician in everything that we do with our kids, that we can walk in favor and in boldness and in power with our kids. That no matter what happens in life, God, even if we have those seasons, God, that that maybe they're off track. I pray for every parent right now that has a rebellious child that you would encourage them. God, I come against that spirit of condemnation that would tell them that it's because of them, it's their fault. And even if it is, God, we're not gonna stay there. We're gonna respond to the leading of your Holy Spirit, accept your grace and your love, and we're gonna win influence back in the name of Jesus. And we just speak to every one of those kids that's walking in rebellion right now. We thank you that their hearts will be softened in Jesus' name to return to their parents. The relationship will be restored in Jesus' name. And God, we lift up every one of our kids to you, God. We know that they're not ours, they're yours. We thank you, God, for trusting us, for allowing us to steward their lives. Help us to steward their lives towards you in Jesus' name as the sinner. So that no matter what, no matter how many mistakes we make, no matter how bad we blow at God, they're always gonna come back to you as their source, as their king. You can put your hands down. If you're here today, you don't know what it's like to have a relationship with your heavenly father. I promise you, it's gonna be very, very difficult. It's gonna be very difficult to parent your kids if you don't know how much your heavenly father loves you. He wants to pour himself into you so that you can pour yourself into them. But if you don't have a relationship with him, I wanna give you a chance to do that. If you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus, or you need to rededicate your life to him today. Nobody's looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. If that's you, put your hand up. As soon as they see your hand, you can put it down. Anyone in this room, I need to get right with Jesus today. Looking for hands. God, thanks. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I need to get right with Jesus. I need to rededicate my life to him. Yes, ma'am. Got you there at the back. Yes, ma'am. Got you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Anybody else? I need to get right with Jesus today. I need to surrender my life to him. I need to rededicate my life to him. Anybody else? All right. For those few people that raise your hand, just have a simple conversation with God. Just tell him, God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. But I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. He paid the price that I could never pay. I believe that he died on the cross. He rose again. Right now, I surrender my life to you, Jesus. I ask you, Jesus, to be my Lord, to have control of my life. I don't want to live. 
according to my own will, what the world says. I want to live according to your word, the leading of your spirit, Father God. I give my life to you. Thank you for giving me a new life in you. Thank you for healing me. Father God, I pray that we would all be able to go from here, not confident in our ability to parent, but confident in your grace to help us. God, we commit ourselves to seeking you out, to seeking your wisdom, to seeking your understanding, to walking in a place of humility, to put you as a priority, to set the example for that in our own lives so that we can raise these kids to be mighty men and women for your kingdom. To you be the glory in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Let's give God a hand.